ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to the Long Game with LZ and Leach from the Recount of ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest sports stories and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm LZ Granderson. He's Will Leach. I am indeed, and we have a very full slate of materials for which we will use our opinionated mouths to discuss with our top stories of the week. First, John Gruden is suing Commissioner Roger Goodell and the NFL for engaging in a, quote, malicious and orchestrated campaign to get him fired. What side are you on? Gruden's or the NFL's or no one's? Uh, is there a D? <laughs> there's, there's, root for the meteor. All right. Root for the meteor. My L.A. Rams signed Odell Beckham Jr. continuing their strategy of building their team around high-priced veterans instead of young players. Question is, do you care how your team is constructed as long as they win? And New York Mets president Sandy Alderson says the New York market has been a deterrent to finding good candidates for the team's general manager position. Is New York sports hardest city to work or play in? Jay-Z told you this shit wasn't easy. And this week in sports history, November 18th, 1966, Sandy Koufax announces his retirement from baseball at the young age of 30. In his final season, Koufax won 27 games, earned his third Cy Young Award, and took the L.A. Dodgers to the World Series. Did his early retirement cement his legacy as one of the greatest pitchers ever? Or is it the fact that we never got to see him not be great that has solidified his place in history? We'll discuss. And we'll finish off the show with LZ's and Will's Games of the Week. But first, LZ, I want to know one thing. What is your sports mood right now? Depressed. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Monday Night Football, all our new toys, Odell Beckham Jr., Von Miller, and what happens? My L.A. Rams. We get bitch slapped in front of the world. By the the 49ers. The 49ers. (laughs) By Jimmy G. manhandled (laughs) that team. Like, I just sat there at one point, Will, and I thought for sure, like, whatever version of the G League for the NFL, that's who was on the field at that point. Because I was like, there is no way that a franchise with Floyd and Donald and Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey. Like, those are huge names on the defensive side of the football, and they were just pushed around like ragdolls. Yeah, and again, I feel like I'm obliged to repeat this, in front of the whole world. And I do feel a little bad because, listen, you, you shouldn't feel too awful, right? Because... Everyone is having these weird games, like my Arizona Cardinals. They got wiped out. The Bills got wiped out by the Jags a couple of weekends out of, out of nowhere. The Rams are still really good. As a Cardinals fan, I'm still very worried about the Rams. So I, don't, I wouldn't sweat too much. But yes, the fact that it happened in front of the whole world was probably not great. But see, that's just it. We've had multiple games played in front of the whole world where we get smacked. And I'm wondering if this is a pattern or just a dink. Because if you're not going to play your best when all eyes are on you, then when are you going to play your best? 
I blame Odell. I'm just blaming Odell. I've just decided to do that. I've just decided to do that. He just got here. Oh, it's, he it's got totally the first pass of the game. It was totally his fault. He's pulled up pages of the playbook, and he's he's already a distraction. He's a distraction. He's a distraction. Any minute now, he's going to make love to the to the net or something on the sideline or something like that. So I had a sad Monday night in sports as well. My beloved Illinois Fighting Illini, 10th ranked in the country. The one sport that we're actually good at, they <laughs> lost. They lost at freaking Market. Well, Shaka well, Smart. Well. Shaka Smart, who's took it, taking over Market. He left Texas to go to Marquette, his like stifling defense. And Illinois does not have Kofi Coburn, their big center, all-American center back. But I watched Andre Curbelo, who I argue looks very much like Sasha Baron Cohen in the Chicago <laughs> 7 movie. Like if you watch a game and just imagine it's it's him playing Abby Hoffman, he looks exactly like him when he plays. I don't know if I want Ali G as one of my players. But more to the point, he had, you remember how people used to get after Kobe for hero ball? That was the big right. thing for hero ball. Like it was always, don't understand, no, the game's analytical now. And Kobe, you're like hero ball guy. And whatever, we can have that debate. But certainly he inspired a lot of people to do hero ball. But mm-hmm. like Andre Corbello or Abby Hoffman, whatever you want to, whatever you want to refer to, is, is six foot two <laughs> and can't shoot. <laughs> so it was really, really difficult. It felt a little bit like watching, like when my youngest son was a baby and he would go play with my older son's four-year-old friends and they would just toss him around and throw him around and they'd be like oh run him into the ditch he won't even know like, just here, lead him into the ditch oh there's like some thorns over there get him in the thorn bush that kind of felt how that happened to your child i have not i i had no idea where they were i was miles <laughs> away drinking i had no idea where they were that's someone else's problem they'll fend for themselves that's what you're supposed to do with children right as Bamani jones says insufficient daddy in right there that's insufficient <laughs> I'm just saying if if leaving them alone in a field with a bunch of dangerous objects isn't parenting, I don't know what parenting (laughs) is, Elsa. All right, Will, let's get to our first big story. Former Raiders coach John Gruden is suing the NFL, accusing the league of specifically targeting him to damage his career. CNN's Coy Wire is following these developments. Hi, Fred. The lawsuit says the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell leaked the emails as part of a, quote, malicious and orchestrated campaign unquote, to destroy Gruden's career. That was a CNN report about John Gruden, who sued the NFL and its commissioner, Roger Goodell, on Thursday. Gruden resigned as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders on October 11th after his racist and homophobic emails were published by the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. The lawsuit accuses the league of engaging in a, quote, malicious and orchestrated campaign, end quote, against Gruden, alleging that officials intentionally leaked the emails during the middle of the Raiders' season to inflict, quote, maximum damage on Gruden and his team, as if the regular season wasn't enough damage already. Anyway, the emails were discovered during the NFL's investigation of the Washington football team's toxic workplace culture. Now, I ask you, Will, whose side are you on? Gruden's or the NFL's? Oh, boy. (laughs) That's a Faustian bargain. I don't want to choose either side yet, but here's the thing about Gruden. There's an old joke people talk about in college football when when a defensive coordinator is in trouble and he's really upset and things aren't working out. He'll call an emotional blitz. Like, it's not the best way to call, but like he's upset and you have to do something and "Ah, blitz, blitz, try that. And I feel like that's kind of what Gruden is doing here. Listen, he got screwed, right? Like Gruden. Did he? Oh, okay. Let me start that over. Did, Did he get screwed? Or did he get exposed? Okay, okay. So Gruden basically is saying that the NFL, in the midst of a what he believes 
is an investigation that had nothing to do with him, though of course it did. He acts like he was like an innocent bystander in this situation, but he clearly wasn't. <laughs> Gruden is claiming that the NFL basically has used him as a scapegoat to distract from the larger investigation about the Washington football team and the NFL's complicity in that. That's his claim. He's also claiming that Goodell specifically went out to get him because he said something bad about Goodell. He referred to Goodell as a homophobic slur and a clueless anti-football, another word that my Midwestern sensibilities will not allow me to say, but trust me. I think it was pussy. Okay, well, fine. Your Detroit sensibilities allow you to say, but my Midwestern (laughs) sensibilities make me very uncomfortable. But clearly, that's what this is about, right? Like, he went after Goodell in a way that Goodell does not like being gone after. Yep, I agree. Now, John Gruden, if you read the other things he said in there, doesn't seem like my kind of guy. Let's put it that way. I think that (laughs) like, and more to the point, I think it gets lost sometimes when people talk about Gruden. They're like, well, he was the coach of the Raiders. Like, no, he was the voice on Monday Night Football. He was the highest paid employee at ESPN. He was kind of the voice of the league in a lot of ways. So the idea that Gruden, he got caught in the crossfire, he was a big part of this. And I do think that one of the reasons that those things were leaked against him was probably because of Goodell. But, like, Gruden is totally wrong. He deserves to be fired for what happened with the, with emails. But I also think that he is right that, that what the <laughs> NFL did here was basically try to use Gruden as a little bit of shield to distract people from what the real story is, which is what's going on with Washington and how the NFL was complicit in that. The Washington football team does need more attention because they allowed for years their female employees to be sexually harassed by male employees, and they did nothing except perhaps cover it up for years and years and years and years. So the Washington football team investigation needs to happen, and Gruden whether he wants to or not, is correct in saying that it was sort of a deflection from that investigation and more importantly, the findings. I have a few friends. I know I'm as shocked as you, but I do have a few (laughs) friends who like don't really pay attention to this stuff, but know about the Gruden story. They don't even know about the Washington part of the story. They only know about Gruden. They only know about the terrible things that he said. That is exactly what Goodell wanted to happen. That's exactly why it worked. And so Gruden, I think, in his emotional blitz, is basically striking back against something that he is wrong about, but also right about. So, like you, I'm a bit conflicted because, in some ways, it seems pretty obvious that if his emails are the only emails being spoken about, and We know that there are hundreds of thousands of emails (laughs) that they had to comb through. Mm -hmm. And this idea that only his were leaked looks a little suspicious. All right, correction. Looks a lot suspicious. It is totally what happened. (laughs) Like, it's It's, not not, not even suspicious. It's quite possibly what happened. (laughs) It's quite possibly. It's obviously what happened. Well, (laughs) unless you believe the NFL and saying that they combed through all the emails Mm. and his were the only bad ones. That certainly feels like something that happened. Yep, that's... It's true. Just bad luck. Sorry, man. Bummer for you. We did a quick search of the N-word and come terms to find out that no one else said it. No one else said it. So there is an argument to be made. Here's the problem, though. To your point, you were just some dude whose private work emails were leaked to make you look bad. You were arguably the league's most influential voice when you consider his media platform and the people who listened to him and the people who were in contact with him during the course of his time at ESPN. You're not just the secretary who made some off-color jokes to her friend and it got leaked out. That's not what happened. No, to me, this is even worse than the conversations that were secretly taped with Rachel Nichols in regards to Maria Taylor with ESPN. And for those who don't know, Rachel Nichols was caught 
on tape saying disparaging thing about a colleague. ESPN sat on it for like a year. It got leaked out. And the next thing you know, both her and the colleague are out at the company. And there's huge discussion about the workplace environment ESPN pursued. This is worse than that. And this is why. Even though Rachel Nichols was talking to an influential person when she was saying these disparaging things about Maria Taylor, she still wasn't on par on the level of influence of John Gruden on the NFL. John Gruden is literally talking to someone with hiring and firing power about why are we hiring women for these jobs? About why are we drafting gay players for these jobs? That's beyond just, I made a really bad joke that had like a slur in it, or I have this worldview and I want to protect my place in this company and I don't want this person to come and take away anything that I have. That's basically what Rachel Nichols was saying. What John Gruden was saying was questioning the hiring of people based solely upon their identities across the entire league. (laughs) That's way worse. And he was saying it from a position of considerable power and influence to literally someone whose job it is to hire people. Like that's another thing that gets lost about this. He literally said this to one of the top guys at Washington who, again, by the way, this whole thing's supposed to be about. And listen, do I think that the emails involving him were selectively leaked specifically because he said something bad about Goodell? Yes, I believe that. I actually do believe that to be true. I also believe there are probably people in there that Goodell does not want to leave hanging who said terrible things in those emails that are not Mm -hmm. being leaked out. I agree with John Gruden on that. On that, just on that, to be as clear as possible. (laughs) Congratulations, John Gruden. You've exposed to even more people how much of an asshole you were. <laughs> That's the old Streisand effect, right? The old Streisand effect, the idea that Barbara Streisand sued someone about some unflattering picture, a picture right. that nobody knew about until she sued about it. This right. is kind of the thing about Gruden. If he wants to, A, ever get back in football or rehabilitate his image in any possible way, this is definitely not the right way to do it. This is an emotional blitz. He's angry, he's egotistical, and he wants that. Again, that said... It's super shady that Goodell correctly and smartly and Machiavellian leave. I think I've said that word correctly. It's close enough for me. He got exactly what he wanted. People are not really talking about the case anymore. No, they're not really talking about the Washington aspect of the case anymore. It looks like what the NFL is doing, which is saying, there's nothing else in there. Trust us. We're not releasing the whole thing. And everyone involved, including people involved with Washington in the initial lawsuit are saying, no, we didn't agree to that. Please release the whole thing. It's been a few weeks now. It doesn't look like that's getting released. And if you ask the average person, oh, uh, what about the Washington scandal? They'll be like, oh, wait, you mean the Gruden thing, right? Like the Gruden thing, which means Goodell got exactly what he wanted. He did get what he wanted. The only reason why I would root for Gruden in this situation, and trust me, this is very difficult for me to say, but it puts him in a position in which he is forcing the NFL's hand to either give him money or it risks exposing more emails yeah. during the court proceedings. Once you start doing depositions and things like that in order to justify his case, right? He would probably have the ability to demand that those emails become public as the litigation process continues in his lawsuit against the NFL, right? That's his leverage. Which, that's gotta be his that's leverage. That's his leverage. Right, and right. so he's trying to get money out of that. And there's a part of me that's like, I'm here for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm here yeah. for you saying, you know what? If you want to screw me, you can't just do it and not give me money for it. 
And then the NFL is probably going to pay him to make him go away, which only makes it appear as if yeah. there's even worse things in those emails. Which there surely are. Which <laughs> there probably are. <laughs> there surely are. So I love that you're hedging, but there's no way. There's well, I'm, I'm hedging t- because of, you know, I was trained as a journalist never to I be know. absolute unless it's been I know, factual. I know, you, and you are doing that correctly. And I'm doing in the, eh, no one will remember this podcast. You're doing the chef version. You're like handing it over to be edited by the source and then saying this is what it is. Yes, yeah, that is exactly exactly what I'm doing. You've definitely nailed that right on the head. And we don't really end up with the muckraking journalists that we might expect. <laughs> but this lawsuit for all of Gruden's awfulness is as close as we're going to get to finding out what's in those what's it, what else is in those emails because otherwise it's going to get shut down. I think it's very clear the Goodell strategy on this is to move on. And listen, this is always the NFL strategy with everything, right? Is okay, Stall, stall, stall. There are games on. Look, look how fun. Right. Look how fun it was to watch the Rams embarrass themselves on Monday. Night. Sorry, but look, look how much fun fun football is. Like <laughs> football is really fun. Look at all this football stuff happening. Pay no attention to what's happening over here, and it generally works. So what he's doing is stalling, 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 and I think he's going to get away with it unless Gruden. Let's doesn't meet Gruden's number because I think right. if this gets to where it is a full on okay, let's open those books and find out what what else is in there. I'm gonna bet Gruden whatever adverb we use to describe how likely it is that there's something in there. Gruden clearly thinks there is, and that's what he's betting on here. I will say this: well, as sickening as it is to defend John Gruden in any capacity right now, <laughs> he does have a point. If the NFL is in charge of all of these emails during their quote-unquote investigation slash self-discovery slash, you know, <laughs> PR move, then the simple fact that the emails got leaked does show a level of negligence from the NFL side, and thus that one aspect of this lawsuit has a lot of credibility, right? Like, you're yeah. in charge of his emails. They got leaked. The NFL, you should be in trouble. It looks like John Gruden at least got them on that point. Yeah, it's the one thing that doesn't involve discovery either. If the judge said, we're not going to dig in further into this, release these other emails. This is something that Gruden can point at and say, I know you screwed this up, so what else did you screw up? Right. And there's also the fact that Congress is looking at it. Yeah. And they're looking at it for, I, I think, good reasons. Though, if you are the NFL and the midterm elections are right around the corner. I think the last thing you want is from some congressperson who's up for re-election, looking to try to find some issue to format their re-election bid around, and they decide to land on the culture of work at the NFL and decides to dig into those emails further. You don't want that either, so you want this to go away as quickly as possible. Pay Gruden to shut the hell up and try to get through this litigation with watching this football team as quickly as possible. One of the funniest things about this, when you take a step back from it, when we talk about the investigation, we make it sound like, oh, well, there's like this impartial third party that's done all this great digging. Like, this is all an NFL investigation already (laughs) anyway. Yeah, this is an NFL investigation. (laughs) You know what this is like, Will? This is when my husband wants to purge the clothes, and then he has me do it. <laughs> it's like, who the oh. fuck you think bought all these clothes? I'm not getting rid of <laughs> Sure, I'll be in charge of purging. Yes. Hmm. Well, it turns out we have exactly enough space. Exactly enough space wow. right now. <laughs> I did a thorough investigation of our closet, and it's apparent to me nothing except this one pair of socks needs to be removed. And it's right. It is funny, because like, I think we hear the word investigation. The NFL chose that word, investigation. Right. Like, they're the one that chose that word. 
in no other context could this really be called an investigation. No, it's a self-assessment. <laughs> yeah, it is a self-assessment and self-reporting. But to remind you, the self-reporting is now explicitly the NFL saying, oh, no, we're not releasing the results yeah. of our investigation. Yeah, of course Because not. that is what investigations are famous for, is not releasing the things that they <laughs> investigate and find. You've done investigative pieces. I've inve- done investigative pieces. One of my favorite things to do when I'm done with my investigation is to tell no one. It's totally worth it. That's like the whole point of doing the investigation is to tell no one what I've discovered. No one. All right, LZ, let's go to our next topic. It involves team construction and how fans are supposed to respond to it. The Rams are stockpiling superstars like Thanos collects Infinity Stones. With Stafford, Cup, Woods, and Odell, not to mention Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey, LA is going all in. That was a USA Today report commenting on the Los Angeles Rams signing veteran wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. last week. The Rams are currently 7-3, and three, have one of the best records in the NFL, and could well reach the Super Bowl in their home Sophie Stadium. Besides signing Beckham, they've also recently traded draft picks for another older star player, outside linebacker Von Miller, which continues the Rams' risky all-in strategy of building their teams around a few expensive, proven veterans that they've acquired mainly by trading away draft picks. The Rams have a bunch of stars, like Matthew Stafford, quarterback Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, but they don't have a lot of quality depth because they have not been able to draft good, young, cheap talent to fill out the roster. In fact, the Rams have not had a first-round pick since 2016 and won't have another one until 2024. So if anyone gets hurt, look out. The Rams are in trouble. But so far, so good. But I ask you, LZ, do you care how your team is constructed if it's all in and top-heavy like the Rams or maybe built from scratch with young players that grow together like, say, the Major League Baseball Orioles? Does it matter as long as you win? So there are a couple of things, right? That's the first basic thing of sports fandom, which is, are you rooting for a winner or a loser? And I think no matter how you you shake it, you got to look at the Rams, certainly since Sean McVay has been hired as a winner. Super Bowl appearance every year, except for one, they've been in the postseason, multiple 10 win seasons. Like these are all benchmarks you use to decide whether or not your team's a winner. But at the same time, because of how the team's been constructed, they also feel like a franchise that's in some ways underperformed or has fallen short of expectations. And I think that's the real risk that they run, right? Overshadowing their success because of the amount of expectations they heap on themselves by the way they construct their team. You go out and you get Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey and you get a Matthew Stafford through trade and you trade away more draft picks, you're signaling that you're going to be more than just a 10-win playoff team. You're saying, we're trying to win the whole damn thing. And the one time that they had the opportunity to actually fulfill that promise, they scored three points in front of the nation, which appears to be a reoccurring theme. If you think about the Monday Night Football performance against the 49ers, embarrass themselves in front of the nation. So... I am happy that we're winning, Will, but I feel as if the shortcomings would sting a lot less if they were being built the traditional way with young players through the draft and they had to earn their stripes. Instead, it feels as if we're grabbing named guys, made guys, and trying to make them a team during the course of the season. And when that doesn't happen, it looks as if they're a failure because of the names that they brought in to be Super Bowl champions, if that makes sense. I love the idea of perception here, because I think that you've done something pretty important. And one thing I actually kind of admire the Rams about, 
if you do this and you bring in all these big names and you say, we're trying to win right now, you are immediately judged on that, right? right? Then like, okay, you brought in these guys to win right now. You better win right now. That's a really great way to lose your job if it doesn't work out. <laughs> a great way to keep your job, however, is to say, oh, no, 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 no. We're not trying to win right now. So don't worry. The objective measure of how we're doing that you see in the standings every single day, don't pay attention to that. Trust right. us, three, four years down the line, our plan will come into focus and it will right. all make sense. And that is like Daryl Morey, like famously did that in the 76ers. And I think the Baltimore Orioles are probably the best example of doing that in Major League Baseball. Now, on one hand, I understand the logic of that idea. That is prudent franchise making. But I think some people argue baseball is being destroyed by this, by the idea of if you're a general manager, the best way to keep your job is to say, we have not yet opened the contention window. We are looking for two years down the line. Don't get your hopes up, fans. Yes. We're not ready yet. Yeah, but don't worry. Come on this journey with us. Come on this journey. It's a pretty good gig. It is, right? <laughs> I mean, It's almost like the George Lucas Star Wars gig. Just stick with us and trust uh, it's to be a payoff in the end. And, and listen, when it pays off, it's great, right? Like, right. I think of like A.J. Preller for the Padres, a great example of this. Remember that first year when he came over and took over the Padres? He brought in Kimbrel and he brought in... Matt Kemp, but he made all these big moves and the team was terrible. And so he's like, okay, I better reconstruct. I better reconstruct. And so he said, we're stripping it down to nothing, but trust me, we're building something. And then it turned out for four years, they were bad. In fact, that first year, which was known as the disaster, was actually their best record. But as that was going along... Then you've got Tatis, and then you make the big move with Machado. A bunch of young talent starts to fill out. Now, they've run aground a little bit this year, though I think they'll be all right next year. But the point is, if you're the Orioles... On one hand, what the Orioles are doing is smart. That was a rotten organization. Peter Angelos had let that organization run out of control. They weren't doing any overseas spending. They were not investing in the club. They had no farm system, and the main team was bad, and they were spending too much money. So they stripped it down to the studs. The problem is we're in year four of having it stripped <laughs> down to the studs, and no one is saying, okay, now it's time. They're not spending any money. In they're not saying that. They're, they're, not. they're not. They are doing nothing. They're, they're clearly saying, just trust us, it's happening at some point. Now, again, that's a great way to keep your job over four years. And if four years ago, he'd have been like the Rams and said, you know what? We're doing it. We're going to win right now. All in. They would have lost, and he'd be fired. The idea that Les Snead, who's the general manager for the Rams, or Sean McVay himself, are somewhat on a hot seat if they don't win a Super Bowl, is kind of crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've done nothing but win. Yeah, and like, this team was a huge mess. Games. And they were a huge mess before they got there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now, because as soon as you do these things, the perception changes. When Jared Goff was disappointing in the regular season or when he had shortcomings in the postseason or even the Super Bowl performance, my mentality was he's still young, he's still growing, they'll learn from this, right? right? right, right. Last night, we're recording on Tuesday, so the Monday Night Football game happened last night, I'm not thinking they'll learn from this, right? <laughs> that wasn't my mentality. It's like, oh, this was an embarrassing loss. They're still growing. No, these are all made men, so I'm <laughs> panicking. <laughs> I'm like, you just got bitch slapped in front of the nation, and you're all made men. You have nowhere else to go from here. 
But that's the con they're playing on you. Not the Rams are playing on you, but other teams are playing on their fans. This is why the Rams are being more honest with their fans. Like, we are doing this right now. It was easier for you before, right? It was totally easier for you to, to handle a loss like Monday night. Oh, before. God, yeah. I would have been like going, Jared, he's still growing. You know, he's young. Yeah. And the team was worse. <laughs> and the team was worse. And you had no proof at all that they were ever going to be better. Except for the notion that if you draft young, eventually they'll get better. Theoretically. Theoretically. Certainly they want you to they want you to believe that and I feel like a good example of this is actually forgive me but my Knicks like the Knicks are a great example my Knicks my New York this is a sports podcast but realize, remember, for the longest time, I was a part of that almost uh, annoying internet hipster Knicks culture where it was like, oh, no, no, we must save every draft pick and don't <laughs> spend money. And listen, I thought the Carmelo trade was bad. I, I loved it Carmelo, but the trade itself was bad. Yeah, they blew up the whole team. And you want to avoid stuff like that. However, the idea like, oh, the Knicks aren't just going to go chase a star, are they? That's so annoying. And so every time they would make a move, like when they traded for Derrick Rose or like they brought in Julius Randle, it's like, you're not going to win the championship. Don't don't spend money. Use that money to get a right. better draft pick or to help around. And I kind of got caught in that mindset. And you know what happened? They're like, yeah, we could do that. Or we could try to do that weird, crazy, revolutionary thing of trying to win games right now. <laughs> and they did that. And <laughs> no, you know what? <laughs> no, <Will. laughs> And it worked. They're not the championship contender that the Lakers are. But certainly, I mean, they're a good team. You saw that video. People lost their freaking minds for winning opening night. It turns out that waiting for an indeterminate future that may come true or may not is less fun than watching your teams actually win games right now. <laughs> it's just an undeniable fact. And I think the resurgence of the Knicks is proof of that. Like if I'm an Orioles fan, I think a couple years I might believe it. For a couple years I might be like, okay, they got to mm-hmm. fix it. But it's been four years and maybe four more years. It starts to look less like a rebuild and more like a con. It's so fascinating because You're right, except for this one aspect of the conversation, which is when it actually happens, when Giannis finally broke through and won a chip, I was a little jealous. Yeah, I get it. I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like going, damn, that motherfucker did it. They did it. They said they were going to do it. They said they were going to do it, and they did it. And they did it. I know. It's very, very exciting. I agree. I agree. I agree. But I would also argue that, like, look at the Atlanta Braves. They won the World Series with guys like Soler and Peterson. Guys just came in out of nowhere. And what's funny about that is when fans say, oh, no, we don't want to bring on our free agents. We want our guys. We want the guys we followed through all these years. And yet, Jock Peterson, who's been there for a month and a half, let's wear (laughs) the pearls. Yeah, (laughs) let's wear the pearls. And Eddie Rosario, they all love him. And and Jorge Soler hits that incredible homer. None of those players are likely to be Braves next year. They're Braves (laughs) for like a month and a half and got them a World Series and they will be legends forever in, well, in Georgia. Not Atlanta, but in Georgia. (laughs) It is weird. It is a weird, weird thing. This, to me, is an argument to just go ahead and just try to win. <laughs> just go ahead and try to win because it doesn't matter. I agree with you about Giannis, but that is definitely the exception that proves the rule, right? That's not usually the teams that are winning. Right. To be honest, one of the reasons that was a long-term plan is what other option did Milwaukee have? They're not convincing <laughs> right. LeBron to come, right? They're not right. going to talk LeBron and AD to come by. That's kind of the only thing they can do. But generally speaking, I think the smart way is just try to win right now all the time. So as much as it may disappoint you to feel like, no, this is supposed to be the maximization of the Rams team and they're supposed to never lose because this is the realization. I feel like this is the Rams being honest and being as honest as any NFL team is capable of being, but being fair with their fans and the way that other teams are. You know, one of the, the phrases that always cracks me up too, 
is when people accuse like the Lakers or the Yankees of trying to buy a championship. Yeah. As if their players are playing for free. It's like, who the fuck's not trying to buy a championship? They're all paid. They're all employees. What do you mean they're trying to buy a championship? We're all trying to buy a championship. <laughs> I paid the ticket. My, like, I'm giving you money. When I give the Knicks money to go to their game, I'd like them to spend it on players. Please spend <laughs> it. That's buy a championship. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. I want to win a championship. You're right. Everyone's spending money like that. It's funny. The top two highest played players in baseball next year play in the burgeoning metropolis that is Anaheim. <laughs> like that, oh like, the, like the idea that like only New York and these teams can pay for them. Right. It's, it's silly. All right. So while I've done all this praising of the Rams for being honest with their fans and trying to win, there is a potential downside to this, at least to you, not for me as an Arizona Cardinals fan, but a downside, which would be, what if it implodes? And what if they spend all this money and none of it works and they have no draft picks in the first round for three more years and they all completely falls apart? Will you feel angry that they went for it or will you feel happy that they at least tried? I think I'm going to lean more towards the latter. Happy that they tried because... As you mentioned earlier, they're at least being honest about it, right? And that takes courage, right? Like the cowardly move is to not put it out there so that they can be exposed for ridicule. But the Rams are putting it out there. Yeah. Les Snead, Kroenke, uh, Sean McVay, they're all putting it out there. The Super Bowl is in LA this season. We're trying to get to the Super Bowl and trying to win it at home. And bam, we're going for it. And they're being blatant about it. And I kind of like that boldness about it. Now, would I be disappointed if in three years it all implodes and we're wallowing in 500 land for a little bit? Um, I will only be disappointed if it feels as if they were only successful because of the talent that they acquired, as opposed to they were successful because they have a really good coaching staff and a head coach that knows how to win, regardless of the bodies they put in front of them. And I tend to think that they won so much with Jared Goff and not to throw shade at Jared Goff, mm-hmm. the motherfucker ain't won a game yet. So <laughs> yeah. apparently Sean McVay was able to win a whole lot of games <laughs> with a quarterback who has yet to win a single game without Sean McVay. He has not won a start without Sean McVay. So yeah. if Sean can win a lot with that QB, then I tend to think, Will, that we're going to be okay if this thing does implode because we have a head coach that knows how to win with players. I also think implosions get overstated anyway. Teams that are run by smart people tend to have short turnarounds. Like the Oakland A's are going through this now, right? That They're about to trade off a lot of their roster, and it looks like they kind of went all in in a way that they're going to suffer for for a couple years. Mm -hmm. But the A's are run by really smart people, so they're probably going to be good in two or three years. Smart people make good teams. Not smart people make bad teams. Okay, Will, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about New York, one of the greatest cities on Earth. But is it also the hardest sports city on Earth? We'll break that down next. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, 
All right, Will, we're back. Brady, barring a defensive foul, the game ends here to the end zone. Hernandez is there, tipped and batted. Gronkowski can't get it. Incomplete. And the New York Giants, given the last rights by many in December, are the Super Bowl champs in February. That's what it sounded like when the New York Giants won the Super Bowl way back in 2012, the last time a major New York sports franchise won a championship. We're bringing this up now because the New York Mets have had a hard time finding a new GM. And according to team president Sandy Alderson, it's not because they have a controversial owner, Steve Cohen, or because they fired two GMs in the last year, one because of sexual harassment allegations and another because of drunk driving arrest. Instead, Alderson insists it's because of New York City itself. The pressure and the scrutiny in New York market is too much for many people to bear. Oh, the heartbreak. And they'd rather just stay away. Now, the Mets may be finalizing a deal with former Los Angeles Angels GM Billy Epler, but they have been rebuffed by a number of candidates for months. So it still begs the question, Will, is New York City the hardest sports city to work and play in? Yes, it is. I'll have you know, uh, I wrote a piece for New York Magazine about this, about why no free agent or talented person should ever go to New York over any other city. I'll have you know, there are all sorts of dudes named Vinny that have been yelling at me on sports radio (laughs) all day. But I am right. I am right. I do not understand. Listen, I love New York. I lived in New York for 14 years. I'm a Knicks fan. It's a great sports city. I get all of that. But I, I kind of think Alderson is right about this. I think he's wrong in trying to pretend that the real reason they don't want to go to the Mets is because the Mets are a completely dysfunctional organization. I think he's kind of pretending that's not the case. But it is super hard to go in New York in so many ways. First up, there's the money. Okay, people always say, oh, well, New York can pay more money. Not anymore. Frankly, if you play in Florida or Texas, you will make more money because there's no state income tax. There's the media. Cheaters. <laughs> that's true. And listen, I don't think that New York media is any meaner than any other media. We're all snakes. Like, we're all horrible people. We're journalists. We're terrible by, de- by definition. But there's a lot more of them. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. They fired their manager, their really successful manager, two weeks ago with no explanation and were really shady when asked questions about it. After a week, everyone sort of shrugged and said, ah, I guess we'll never find out what happened. That would not <laughs> happen in New York. That would, no, it would, it would People would kill themselves to try to find it. You don't get any privacy. Anything you do is constantly uh, under scrutiny. Remember the Mike Piazza page six press conference? Because the media is so insane, like he had to have a press conference to let everybody know that he wasn't gay because page six had pointed to him. Oh, yeah. I was living in New York at the time. We actually took a poll at a couple of gay bars I was at afterwards to see if we believed them. There were certainly a lot of speculation <laughs> at the time. Uh, uh, and, but, and whatever your one's thoughts about that, it's fair to say that's not happening in like Kansas City. That's probably not right. happening there. People are very provincial in New York. And there's this idea that winning a championship in New York means so much. And it does. It totally means a lot. It also means a lot other places. If you have the choice between New York, where the media is all over you, your money doesn't go as far, or it's equal, you have people in your case all the time. And that you get booed constantly. Poor Francisco Lindor, like he'd probably never been booed by his home fans in his life. And then he gets like a weekend and the Mets are all over him. And don't worry, you've got nine more years to go. I'm just (laughs) saying if I'm an athlete or if I'm an executive, if I'm looking at quality of life, I don't know why I would pick New York. All things being equal, I would pick somewhere else. I disagree with you. I think what New York does is expose who you really are. It exposes it. Mm Mm-hmm. And it exposes it in a very painful and very sort of draconian way Uh because 
this mentality, I don't think has changed like in a hundred years. If you win, you're a God. And if you don't win, you're just a dude. And there are a lot of people who thought they were gods and came to New York and were exposed as just being dudes. And so I think a lot of the hesitation is really about the expectations of New York more so than the media or this idea that the fandom there is more intense or crazier than anywhere else. They're beheading people in South America if you don't get like the goal or something in soccer and stuff like that. Like there's way worse environments to try to play sports in. I, I certainly agree that you should sign with the Yankees before Bogota. I certainly agree <laughs> in that but, regard, yes. But if you're going to sign with the Yankees, right, especially if you're coming in, you know, as a big name free agent, the assignment is to win. The assignment is not to be human. The assignment is not to talk about your feelings or the pressures that come with being in New York. That's not the assignment. No, the assignment is to win. And if you win, then you can tell us about how you feel. But we don't want to hear about your feelings before you win. And I think that for a lot of athletes, that can be intimidating. But for those athletes that know they're a real one, the ones who won't shrink when that heat comes, who won't cough when that smoke comes, they're perfectly fine in New York. The reason why LeBron James reportedly is in L.A. instead of New York isn't because he was scared to be in New York. It's because Savannah says, I didn't want to be in the snow or something <laughs> like that that was reported. I don't know. Right. The point being is that he wasn't afraid of that smoke. And I think that when people talk about this city in general, they're looking at the responses to them without looking at what they're doing in order to get those responses. Case in point, every single person I know who talks about how rude New Yorkers can be is the exact kind of person who will be stopping, looking at their phones in the middle of the sidewalk. <laughs> don't disagree with you there. <laughs> it's so true. And I'm just sitting there like going, <laughs> I don't think New Yorkers are running around yelling things at people who are not standing in the middle of a sidewalk or who aren't in the front of a food truck going, um, do I want the number two or the number five? Can you tell me a little bit more about number four? Like, those people get yelled at, right? Yes, and they should. And they should. Because we don't have time, Will. You've lived there, I've lived there. We don't have time for this bullshit. Have your mind made up before you get in front of the line. Don't tell me New York is rude without acknowledging what you're doing to get that sort of reaction. And I feel the same way when it comes to franchises, whether it's executives or whether it's athletes. Yes, you got booed. But why? Because you weren't playing well. Own that. And stop acting as if New Yorkers are irrational in their responses. I think there's a difference between stopping on the downstairs at the subway exit, which is, my God, you monster. I mean, seriously. <laughs> like, get off the stairs you know, I, and I move actually out of the way. Stairs. Someone's <laughs> on the stairs, Will, in front of me with a full map. Oh, my God. Unfolding a full map. I was like, I didn't I even know they still made paper maps. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know about you, but, like, I, I don't want to turn this into a rant about New York, but uh, in the seven years since I've left New York, I cannot believe how slow the rest of America walks. What's wrong with you? Like, God. <laughs> Oh, I know. I know. Oh, so yes, so yes. Obviously, I'm with you there. Obviously, I'm with you there. But there is a difference between being a person walking around New York and realizing. I forget the writer that said that people that live in New York think that people that don't live in New York are just kidding. Like the idea that like like your, your life is just not really very serious in New York. I remember that thought. I don't miss having that thought now that I don't live in New York anymore. On one hand, if you're going to get to the top levels of your sport. 
at a certain level, you can do that anywhere. LeBron is never going to shy away from something, and he's never going to shy away from it, whether it's in New York or whether it's in Cleveland or whether it's Miami or it's anywhere else. What I'm arguing is the world is super hard. Patrick Ewing was one of the best NBA players of all time. Great NBA player. It just didn't work out for him. He traveled in a finger roll, by the way. Yeah, but it's not like Ewing like didn't make it out of some personal failing. He just played right. against Jordan, right? He just played during that time. Stop, but- stop. Stop. I have to stop you right okay. now, New York okay. Knickerbocker. Okay. Because you guys do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Patrick Ewing didn't win a championship because of Jordan. Like, mm-hmm. he played Jordan in the postseason every freaking season. That did not happen. He did not face Jordan every single postseason. He lost to a bunch <laughs> of teams, not just against Jordan. Okay, carry on. They say the same thing about Barkley. say the same thing about Malone. They say the same thing about all those guys. So right. it's not just a Ewing thing. But more True. to the point, that idea that Ewing can't win the big one, like that is something that was a specific New York thing that was put on him. If you're really ready for that big stage, you'll win that title because that's all we care about. That's all we care about in New York. I'm not going to do a, a Vinny from Staten Island accent. Oh, so more to the point, I don't understand why if I'm an athlete, and I agree, if I'm truly, truly the best, I'll succeed in New York and it'll work out great for me. If I'm truly, truly the best, I can succeed anywhere and it will work out great for me. Now, if I grew up in New York, this is the nice thing about Kimball Walker, right? He was so mm-hmm. excited to come back to New York because it's where he's from. He was very excited to try to win one for the Knicks. He has an emotional attachment to the place. And if you have an emotional attachment, by all means, you should go do the New York thing. If you don't have an emotional attachment... I don't know why you'd bother. And frankly, even if you win, that's another thing. Like, sure, Derek Jeter, yes, he is gold forever. Mariano Rivera, Mark Messier, yep. Lawrence Taylor, those guys are gold forever. Because a, they won. Yeah, but they would be gold forever in Omaha. Those are like four of the greatest athletes of all time. But look at guys like Robinson Cano, mm-hmm. Eli Manning, Tom Coughlin, Plaxico Burris. These are guys that won championships in New York and ended up running out of town, either because of scandal or because they weren't any good anymore. I've looked around and I can't find statues of any of them. So the idea that like if you win in New York, it's like, oh, now you're that's all we want. No, we love it. But New York sports fans are like every other team sports fans. We are so happy when you win for like a few months. And then we want you to do it again. Because it's a new season. Exactly. What I'm saying is I'm not sure the juice is worth the squeeze when it comes to playing in New York. That's what they always said. I've heard you say that before. And I get it. The idea that like, I've seen the bing bong video. They lose their freaking minds over relatively small things. New York is fucking back. Knicks are here, baby. The Knicks are fucking here, baby. Fresh out the garden, baby. We're taking it all the way. We had De Blasio. We had Cuomo. It was rough shit. But we have the Knicks. That's New York. Knicks run New York City. <laughs> Bing bong. Tell me a little something, KD. Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? Don't you regret not coming to the Knicks? Let's go, Knicks. Let's go, Knicks. If the Knicks win the NBA championship ever in my lifetime, it's going to be out of control. I don't deny that. But then come November, it's like, okay, win again. Go win another one. And that's just the way sports are. So the idea that you get like a lifetime pass, Jeter does because he won five. Rivera because he he won five. You know, and and Taylor because he was Lawrence Taylor, you know. So the idea that uh, you get that lifetime pass, I, I don't know if it's true there. It's just like it's not true anywhere else. All right, time to move on to This Week in Sports History, where we look at an event from the past through the lens of 2021. What is your thought about the loss of income? Well, the loss of income. 
All right, let's put it this way. If there were a man who did not have use of one of his arms, and you told him it would cost a lot of money and he could buy back that use, he'd give him every dime he had, I believe. That's my feeling. And in a sense, maybe this is what I'm doing. I don't know. Yeah, I've got a lot of years to live after baseball, and I just, I would like to live them uh, with complete use of uh, my body. I don't regret one minute of the last 12 years, but I think I would regret one year that was too many. That was the voice of Sandy Koufax from a press conference on November 18, 1966, when the Los Angeles Dodgers pitching legend announced his retirement at the tender age of 30. Koufax had just completed his fifth dominant season in a row, winning 27 games, his third Cy Young Award, and taking the Dodgers to the World Series, where they lost to Baltimore. The problem was, he had a chronically sore elbow that left him in agony after every start, and he'd had enough, though I don't know if that was quite appreciated at the time. And so, the thing about this is now, when you think of, of Sandy Koufax, he is this legend. He is this incredible player that we think of as like one of the greatest pitchers of all time. But LZ, what I'm kind of wondering is, did that happen because he retired at 30, and we never got to see him go old? Like the James Dean idea. Live fast and leave a good-looking corpse, right? We never got to see Sandy Koufax get old as a pitcher and struggle and so therefore he's forever perfect i mean there are a lot of people certainly in pop culture like that right you mentioned um like what's his name james dean james dean there you go the guy that has the sausages <laughs> i don't I really watch a bunch of movies from 1950s so it's hard for me to keep up with I that one. Sorry, sorry. but i mean but certainly Pac and and biggie both died tragically very very young and so we never got a chance to see what would have become of their careers both good and bad and you know maybe as a byproduct of that they'll always be remembered for the good and justifiably so but Sandy Koufax is different in the sense that you know he chose right this was a conscious decision and I have two things to say about this actually three number one youngest person ever elected to the hall of fame deservedly so with 86.9 percent of the vote I want to know what the hell was that 13.1% thing? <laughs> like, who the fuck doesn't vote for Sandy Koufax for Hall of Fame? <laughs> who are these people? I need names. It's got to be hard to vote for someone that much younger than you <laughs> to go into the Hall of Fame. That's called maybe. hater. <laughs> yeah. It's a hateration. That's what that's called. That's fair. It's not logistics. Number two, that answer that he gave in terms of why he's retiring so young was one of the most eloquent explanations mm. of an athlete talking about their mortality that I've heard in years. And he said that way back in 1966. Yeah. And I still think it's probably the most eloquent, or one of the most eloquent anyway, about an athlete talking about their own mortality. mortality. It's absolutely powerful. And number three, if he were to retire, say, today, I would think that the conversations wouldn't be so much about why was he leaving so early as much as what is he going to do next in media? And he would have an opportunity to basically write his own contract for any network that was broadcasting um, baseball games. And he would go on to spend the rest of his days, maybe even challenging the great Vin Scully in terms of being a beloved voice in baseball if he had retired in today's age, being that young, that articulate, and that good at what he did. Listen, when you're an athlete, you're generally never more popular than when you retire. 
I remember these very sweet, loving pieces from reporters about Terrell Owens when he retired. And I was like, right. you guys did nothing but destroy him when he was <laughs> playing. But now you love, now like, oh, I'll miss him now that he's gone. And and there's something kind of funny about that. Like, you're never more beloved than right when you are retired, but you're also never less beloved than when you become a broadcaster. <laughs> like, <and especially, laughs> people start yelling at you all the time, right? One of the great things about Sandy Koufax is not only did he retire so young, he vanished. Yeah. Like this was kind of Sandy Koufax's thing. Yep. He was very private. He retired and then just went away, which only made his legend grow even further. The fact that he was secretive, he didn't like to give interviews. You occasionally see him show up at like spring training. I remember when the Dodgers win the, uh, win the World Series and they, and they talked about at one year that a lefty was going to throw out the first pitch. And I'm like, oh my God, is it going to be Sandy Koufax? It was Fernando Valenzuela, <laughs> which is also awesome. But this is like, very awesome. But certainly... Sandy Koufax is now almost this kind of mythical figure because he left at the top of his game and then went away. And there's something about that that I feel like our culture now doesn't get. Like, no one wants to step away from the limelight now. Like, if you have an opportunity to be that broadcaster, you have to be it. Something about that's really nice about that, that you can tell from that speech, he's so thoughtful that yes. he seems like the type of guy that would be like, you know what, I did it. I'm moving on with my life and I'm moving on to something else. And and you listen to that speech, and you're like, oh, yeah, of course that's how he'd spend the next 30, 40 years of his life, kind of out of public spotlight and kind of at peace with himself, because he seemed like a guy that could be at peace with himself. But because he retires so young and his final season was such an incredible season, he has the ability to do something that I would argue very few, if any broadcaster who's a former athlete in any sport can do, which is say something and not have people go, yeah, but you didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's you know, true. Like, like Tony yeah. Romo, and I love, love, love Tony Romo on the mic. I really do. But there are moments in which I'm like going, come on, dog. You know you didn't do that when you were playing. <laughs> we yeah. all saw it. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're seeing this with Robert Griffin, right? Like, Robert Griffin is calling games now, and he's pretty good. But you still just can't be like, yeah, but I watched you play quarterback. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Like, <laughs> Sandy Koufax has the benefit of saying something and no one can be like, yeah, but I saw you pitch. Because if you yeah. saw him pitch, then you just shut the fuck up and listen to what Sandy Koufax has to say. I wonder if there's something about the idea when an athlete does retire this young, because we've seen like, you know, Barry Sanders did it. Mm -hmm. I guess Andrew Luck, a little though, Andrew Luck, whatever, I would argue never quite reached the heights that some of these guys did. I wonder if now there'd be more of a mental health aspect to it like even when Andrew Luck retired there was this he was because of injuries but there was almost an idea that like he is relieved now like you don't have to do this fight anymore that, like I feel like a lot right. of times when an athlete retires early now there's almost a an empathy for him and it's less centered on what we're losing as fans when Barry Sanders retired all I could think of was like oh I'm never gonna watch Barry Sanders run again that makes me so sad but I think now it would be centered in Good. Barry Sanders is in a, a place where he can stay healthy and have the rest of his life in front of him. I wonder if it's covered differently now. You think we're that involved? <laughs> I Man, <don't>. Yeah. <laughs> what am I talking about? Did you not see the Google emails? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, here I was thinking that humanity was capable of progress and moving forward. Uh, that was stupid. I, honestly, it's a great point, too, because listening to that Koufax clip, it's like, wow, I don't remember. You're right. I don't remember. I've ever heard an athlete be so smart, intelligent, and moving, and vulnerable. And oh, I missed 1968 already. And I wasn't even born. <laughs> <laughs> All right, LZ, let's close it up. What is your game of the week? 
Well, well, it feels as if I'm coming out of the closet as a Kansas City Chiefs fan because mm-hmm. I picked them as game of the week last week, and I'm back again. <laughs> okay. Picking their matchup against the Dallas Cowboys as the game of the week. I am so excited for this game because we're going to find out so much about these teams, but also about the conferences. Because the Dallas Cowboys are being viewed as a team that could quite possibly end up in the Super Bowl. And if they go to Kansas City and just get smacked, what does that say about the rest of the NFC? And on the flip side, it looks as if KC has righted the ship, right? And that they're starting to win and they're back on top of their division. But if Dallas goes in and smacks them again, the questions and all the conversations about what's wrong with the Kansas City Chiefs are back at us. So I'm excited about this game because it has so much Super Bowl potential, but also the narratives of what happens on the outcome. Well, this weekend are the MLS playoffs. I know you catch the fever. I know that the, you can feel electricity in the air when you walk outside. It's obviously MLS playoff season. I live in Georgia, but I have one Atlanta sports team, and it is Atlanta United. I love Atlanta United. They play NYCFC this weekend. Joseph Martinez, I feel he has underappreciated how beloved Joseph Martinez is. He is He's at the top-selling jersey in the MLS for like four or five straight years now. He is one of the most beloved, underappreciated national athletes in the country. I love Atlanta United. They're on the road, but I was there when they won the 2018 MLS Cup. It was one of the most joyous sporting events I've ever had. I love Atlanta United, and they, unlike the Braves, do not play in Smyrna. They play in Atlanta. <laughs> they play in Atlanta. I, I got that dig, and I like it. I'm an original season ticket holder for Atlanta United, and and I'm very excited to get out there and uh, beat NYCFC this weekend. And that's our show. Thanks to everyone for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe to us on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcast. And we'll be back next Wednesday for a breakdown of the biggest sports stories of the week. And I promise I will not pick the Kansas City Chiefs as the game of the week next time. I'm kind of sad I don't get to talk to you again until next week. Let's Give me a call tomorrow. We'll do this again. Just text. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be fine. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>